This is The Other 14 Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Other 14 podcast, the only podcast that forgets all about the so-called Big Six and focuses just on the other 14 teams of the Premier League. A trip down south didn't turn out all too well for the Magpies, while the relegation battle draws in another contender with a reshuffle at the bottom. This week, as always, we're joined by Tom. Hello, Reese. Hello, Tom. Um, Tom, normally I would open up with just a question about the game week, but instead I've decided that for this episode we're going to drip feed a little bit of a, a trivia challenge for you. Oh, go on. Um, so throughout the episode I'm going to give you three clues uh, alluding to a certain player um, right. of other 14 fame. Right. You might be able to get it in one go on clue one, in which case well done. Fingers um, crossed. But- yeah, I might get you a scratch card or something as a reward. Oh, please do. If it takes you all the way through to clue three, then I'm going to be slightly disappointed in you. If okay. I win on said, if I win on said scratch cards, there's no clause by which you get like fifty percent of the winnings, is there? Oh no, you have to share it with all the other fourteen fans. You okay. have to split it around. By I everyone. thought you were about, about to say that all the other fourteen clubs were there for a second. I was like, yeah, you do. <laughs> Some clubs might need the money. Hmm. Okay. CC your first clue our man started his career in Suffolk before making a long stint in the North East which included a famously feisty event so you can guess now you can guess now or you can hold on for other clues Okay, question. I'm going to be so disappointed if you get it in go one and then I'll cut all of this (laughs) if I guess it do you I? Can, try, you, you, if, can I have multiple if, guesses anyway? You, if you like, you can stick. You could, in theory, stick with your guess all the way through. In which okay. case, like, if you guess now, and then I'll... Um, I'm trying to remember the incident. Um, the only name that springs to mind is Kieran Dyer. Okay, okay, we can think about that. And... Okay. First things first. Over to you, Tom, with the classified results for the game week. Here are the classified results for match week 25 of the Premier League 22-23 season. Fulham 1, Wolverhampton Wanderers 1. Everton 0, Aston Villa 2. Leicester City 0, 1. West Ham United 4, Nottingham Forest 0. Leeds United 1, Southampton 0. AFC Bournemouth 1, 4. Bristol Palace 0, 0. Tom, thank you very much for those classified results. Um... A lot to talk about, and we'll get into a lot of the Premier League results in this episode, but let's first move on to the events of Sunday afternoon at Wembley. Okay, Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. It didn't play out for the Toon Army. Okay, Sarah, Sarah. How long did it take you to come up with that? 30 seconds. Fair this Sunday, we saw Saudi-owned and other 14 representatives, Newcastle, make their way to Wembley for the League Cup final. Unfortunately, like a poorly planned night out, the pre-drinks were better than the event. With the Toon Army taking over Trafalgar Square on the Saturday night, 
but by Sunday evening they were having but by Sunday evening they were having to make their way back to the northeast with their tails in between their legs. Um, Tom, what did you make of kind of the whole event of eventually, well, another other 14 representative making a final, but obviously falling falling short when it mattered most? Yeah, I was, you know, I was, I was watching the game and sort of elements of, of the, of the build-up of it and... Um, there was a you know huge expectation not not actually no not expectation realistic from Newcastle fans but a, a, an air of excitement and just general sort of giddiness about the the fact that Newcastle had got back to you know a, a major cup final you know first time since the uh, since the nineties um, that they've made an appearance in um, in said domestic cups finals um, but ultimately the disappointment of having to go through a, a 2-0 defeat to United whereby United pretty much had the game under control for all of it. Um, there was a, obviously some elements of the game where Newcastle played well and forced uh, Manchester United on the back foot slightly but the way that Casemiro sort of controlled that midfield and a couple of I wouldn't say errors but um, sort of was, you know a bit of luck involved with the second goal and an element of some poor defending from a set piece for the first. I, th- I think Newcastle will be licking their wounds and general disappointment about how the, the game sort of went went on. But ultimately, I think this is just the beginning for Newcastle. So it will be disappointment initially, but ultimately, I think this is just signs of things to come. Yeah, I think you're right. This will definitely not be the last time that we see Newcastle making an appearance at Wembley. I don't think they'll have to wait as long as they have previous. And I'm sure in future years with the trajectory of the club that they'll be um they'll eventually get there and will be winning some trophies. I think for uh I think overall I think obviously the fans made a really good account of themselves. Um I think it's just disappointing obviously that the players of don't get me wrong, Manchester United is probably the informed team in the Premier League right now. They've just come off of the back of beating Barcelona um, in the Europa League knockouts. So I think they're a team that's absolutely flying. So it was always going to be a tough game for Newcastle. I think this kind of, it does go back a little bit to what we've spoken about all season so far, is that Newcastle will be able to break into that European group as long as they start taking points from those teams up there yeah, and and getting results from the teams up there. And it was quite clear that, obviously, Manchester United on the whole did outplay them. And that is just kind of that gap at the moment between... The, the same way in the in, currently in the league, they'll mop up anyone who's pretty much... Not, I know they've got a lot of draws recently, but otherwise yeah. they've been absolutely mopping up and putting the other rest of the other fourteen to the side. They've been doing a really good job, but it's against Liverpool, City, Manchester United, where they really need to be converting those performances into wins and three points. And Sunday was an example of where they were maybe just just lacking a little bit in that quality. Yeah, um, in certain places in the pitch. I I, th- I think you know that that's ultimately where it comes down to, and, uh, and it's been a problem really for for Newcastle over the last sort of few weeks or so is is the fact that 
goal scoring has seemed to have dried up a little bit. They, yeah. you know, we, we we've talked about um, pretty much all season long about how good they've been defensively. Um, a few goals starting to leak here and there. I mean, um, but that's I don't think that's the reason why they lost this game. I think it was their inability to score. Uh, ultimately, you know, goal. You know, it's very much a well, yeah, goals do win your games. You know, that's a given. But I think it is just starting to hurt form and a little bit of confidence now. The fact that they're not regularly finding the back of the net like they were early on in the season. I think Newcastle for the second half they really came out fighting. They you know changed things up instantly. Isaac um, Isaac came on, seemed to have given a little bit more impetus into um, Newcastle attacking play. But it, it felt watching it that one there was just that lack of a killer sort of final ball um, that would have got in behind United's defence. And two, there was just a lot of, I think, individual performances as opposed to a team performance whereby someone wanted to do the magic moment and sort of be the be the hero of the day and trying to do maybe one pass too much or one sort of one jink too much or whatever. Um, and it just felt as though they were trying too hard in that final third um, and it didn't really sort of come off. There was didn't seem to be too much linkage um, from an attacking point of view. So yeah, ultimately disappointment. Um, you know, there were there were de- definitely moments in that game where Newcastle could have. I think there was a, a ball from St. Maximum that sort of blazed across the front of the goal. Um, just needed a little tap to, to put De Gea it past made De Gea. a save from a tight angle. From exactly. A, a so, St. Maximum effort. It's ultimately it just wasn't Newcastle's day, unfortunately. And and sometimes in cup finals it, it does go that way. Um, but I I think. Newcastle shouldn't be too dispirited. They they made the cup final in like their first full season under the new regime. It is sign of thing, it is a sign of things to come. But now they need to get back to the main battle, which ultimately is um, you know gradually sort of climbing their way up and up and up with the league. Um, and the first thing they need to do is just try and sort of rediscover that goal scoring form that did them so well earlier on in the season. Yeah, I think in terms of players that were putting them away obviously I'm not necessarily blaming Wilson but the service to him has probably dried up a little bit yeah. um Almiron is scoring bangers week in week out and and it's difficult I think one of their main issues at the weekend was just the way Manchester United dominated the midfield as you mentioned Casemiro was on on really good form played really well it meant the likes of um Gimaraes and Longstaff just didn't really have that much impact on the play mm. and being able to link up to their forward line. So it is tough, but as you say, it's their first full season doing this. Um, well, first full season under the new ownership. So things are only going to get brighter for them. Yeah. They'll definitely be back at this sort of get. They'll definitely be back at this sort of game um, in future years. hundred oh, percent. And they, they will, yeah. they will win trophies <laughs> that with the trajectory of the club, they will win. Um, I think the main thing for them now is they've just got to, I suppose, have a bit of a, a collective regroup and have a look at what their aims for the rest of the season are. They've got that European challenge. They've had a bit of a a bit of a dodgy run of form of the recent weeks, and they just need to kind of get back to doing what they were doing really well and nailing in hopefully top four, but if not, definitely getting themselves a Europa League place at a minimum because absolutely. They're good enough to go far in the yep. Europa League. Um, I think the Conference League, they'd probably be almost 
it'll be a level that's probably they wouldn't be upset with it, but I think that'll be the conference league will perhaps be a level that at this point they might be a little disappointed by if they drop into that bracket. Yeah, I do think that would be a little bit of a disappointment. I, th- I think they should definitely be aiming for Europa League minimum at this point. Um, what did you think of Karras's performance? Um, G- you know, he's given, given uh, the there start. was a lot of hype made up about uh, made over Karius. Um, to be honest, I don't think. Carius uh, did anything particularly wrong during the game. Yeah, I think in terms of their goals, um, in terms of their goal, uh, the Manchester United goals, their first goal, which was the header, so cross in from Luke Shaw and headed in by Casemiro. If anything, it was a little bit. Uh, it was a really good ball in, but a little bit of a um, unchallenged header. So, yeah. if anything, that was defensive line. Fault. I don't think you can blame Karius for that. As for the second goal, Rashford's, um, if it's gone down as his, it's it now been given a... to Rashford. It, it, I mean, 100% it's an own goal, but it's now been given yeah, to Marcus Rashford. It, it, it was a wicked deflection. And to be honest, it's that you'd never expect your keeper to make that save. No. If, you're, if your keeper does make that save, you go, oh my God, that's a world class reaction save. So to be honest, I don't blame him for either of the two yep. goals. I don't think, apart from that, he re—I don't think he really did anything wrong. So, um, it's not necessarily the full redemption arc for Karius, but I think, in terms of coming in, Brainman, he only would have really thought about him being in that game the week before, leading up the week leading up to it. So, I think, yeah, in all fairness to him, he had a fairly good showing, and I don't really blame him for anything. No, yeah. Um... I'm pretty much under the same sort of agreement. I, I think there's there's hardly anything that he could have done for the second goal. I, I I guess what sort of pisses me off the, I guess what pisses me off for the most part of it is the fact that a lot of the media outlets were looking to try and get an angle, um, about oh, it's so unnecessary. It is right? unnecessary. You know the the fact that after the second goal was scored, like the immediate sort of question from pundits and sort of other other sort of channels were that oh, could, oh, could, done better. could well, have carriers done better it's like well the only reason you're doing that well, is yeah, the fact of his history yeah like realistically yes in theory a goalkeeper could do better than that they could save yeah. it but uh, yeah it's called uh, saving, that's, that's, saving a goal that's such a rare chance of uh, yeah. the deflection bobbling up like that straight at him it's so hard to react to yeah, I think anyone who's trying to pin that on him is just there to give him a hard time. Yeah, and I do. It's just, it's just basic, basic yeah. and I do so I sort of like feel it. somewhat sorry for him. Um, obviously, what happened with him in that Champions League final? Um, there is no doubt that he was concu- uh, He was concussed for that, and oh, he was. He he's been made. He's had a huge amount of piss ripped out of him for it. When realistically, he was concussed, and under modern day rules, I don't think he would have been allowed to play on at all and he shouldn't no. have played on you could tell that he was affected by the early collision that he experienced in that game and now unfortunately he's going to have to wear that he's going to have to wear that around his shoulders for um for pretty much the rest of his career unless he has a redemptive moment obviously yeah. for him I'm sure he was hoping it would have been something involving the final on Sunday yeah. but it just wasn't enough and I think the thing um, that he's proved to himself is the fact that he's now come in yeah, made it made a de- made a decent performance and, and showed himself to be an actual decent backup that Newcastle could pro- possibly use throughout the um coming years. Yeah, exactly. So he, yeah. He's, he might he might have found himself an, another home um after spending I think it was about five or five or so years at Liverpool. Yeah, I think fair play to him. Um, and I wish him the best. Yeah.
West Ham went full lumberjack this Saturday at the 3pm kickoff at the London Stadium with David Moyes' men taking a chainsaw to Steve Cooper's forest. This was deemed to be a do-or-die fixture for the Scotsman, but his team sailed to victory thanks to four second-half goals, two courtesy of January signing Danny Ings. Tom, is it safe to say that Ings will only get better for West Ham? Oh, wow. How many more of these have you got lined up? Um, I don't actually have any more puns lined up. Oh, great. That's good. Um, If Danny Ings can be fit for the remainder of the season, I think he will only score goals for West Ham. Like, you know, he's a, he's, a, he's an out-and-out goal scorer. Um, he's proven it with the likes of Southampton, with the likes of Liverpool. Well, actually, no, I'll take that back. He didn't score for Liverpool. He was injured most of the time. Um, he proved itself Burnley. with Burnley. That's the one. Um, if they can keep him fit, he, he proved on Saturday just exactly what he's all about. His goals weren't like pretty by no no stretch of the imagination. Like his second one was just literally just bundled over the line. Um, but he does get goals, and I think that's what it, that's what West Ham are desperately, desperately, desperately need yeah, right now. They scored it, four. They haven't scored four. I can't remember the, the last time West Ham scored four uh, in a game um, in a Premier um, League game. Um, last season, I think they were very good at it, and they did it on four separate occasions. Right. This season, not so good. No. So. Um, I mean, we, we don't look at the quality of a team by the amount of like how many times they score four in a game, but it's the fact that you know four goals is probably like what twenty, let's say like eighteen percent of the total goals that West Ham have scored so far this year. They've been scored in one game. That, that is probably not too. I'm just inaccurate. like doing very like fag packet maths off the top of my head, but yeah, I'm just looking at the table now. So West Ham had scored. Oh, had 19 before so they've they've now scored 23 so yeah. yeah it's pretty much an extra 20% of their goals yeah. which is so, yeah um, um but that's the thing that in terms of their goals um they haven't scored a great deal but in, their goal difference is significantly better than the teams around them down at the bottom end hmm. which is going to show that they don't really get thumped in games yeah. so they're currently on minus 6 above them is wolves on minus 15 Below them, there's Leeds on minus 10, Everton minus 15, Bournemouth minus 26, and Southampton minus 22. Yeah. So they're clearly doing something reasonably well or yeah. or only losing games by slim margins. Um, I, th- I think it's an issue that a lot of clubs have at the moment, sort of either in and around the relegation zone or sort of mid-table-ish, that they can keep defensively that they're solid but they just do struggle in front of goal and West Ham yeah. are definitely one of those teams. Um, so Saturday would have done them the world of good. Yeah, that addition of Danny Ings, um, as you say, in terms of his finishing, it, neither of his goals were particularly pretty. They will not it, be winning goal of the week. I'll just put that out no, there now. But it's that poacher's instinct, I guess, yeah. that they don't really, they don't have anyone like that. Mikel Antonio isn't really a goal poacher in that same style. So I think um, a, a great addition to the team. What I do want to bring you on to is that loss for Forest means that they are now only four points above the relegation zone. So you've got Everton on 18th with 20, Everton in 18th with 21 points, and Forest in 13th with 25 points. Um, that's probably. 
if if Forest lose at the weekend, so they've got a game against Everton, that brings Everton within one point of Forest. If we're considering Everton a relegation contender here, have we got to consider Steve Cooper's men as well? Well, I, I this is one of the reasons why I included them in this bottom nine table that I did the other the other week was the fact that technically I, I well I mean technically you can go as high up as sort of well like Liverpool and still say that you know, there's a chance of relegation, but you look at the the the, the likelihood of, of teams getting relegated and. You did, I did include Forest for that for that reason. It's just the fact that they are still in and around it um, by just a couple of points. That just goes to show how tight it is. Um, I don't think at this stage Forest fans should be worried. They will should should have been worried at the start of the season. And they I did, see. They I did, disagree with you. Up. I I think they should be worried. I know their home in what form. Sense? I know their home form is very good, but. Cooper set them up, I think, to just try and get one point from West Ham, or at least to frustrate, obviously playing on the fact that London Stadium has been a bit toxic towards Moyes recently. Yeah. I think he was tr- the game plan was to frustrate West Ham for as long as possible, and they didn't do anything particularly adventurous. Um, their formation was a bit weird and narrow going forward. But as soon as they conceded one, the team seemed to kind of go, oh, well, we don't have a backup plan and everything. Well, you saw that there was four goals in 15 minutes. That doesn't happen to an organised, well-structured team. So no, something but... went wrong very quickly with the attitude of those players. And that would that more than anything would concern me if I was a Forest fan. Yeah, I'll, I'll put it back to you. Conversely, on the other side, since the beginning of the year, you know, one all at home to Chelsea. They beat uh, Southampton away 1-0. Uh, beat Leicester at home 2-0, one all draw with Bournemouth, 1-0 beating Leeds. Uh, they lost 2-0 to Fulham at Craven Cottage. They drew 1-0 at Manchester, uh, against Manchester City at home, and then they lose 4-0 um, to West Ham. That West Ham result is an outlier. They have been solid this year. So it's but not so, but but solid puts them four points above the relegation zone. I know. Yes, but it yes, I haven't been picking up the wins here and there that they might want have wanted to. But they've shown. I I still think there are worse teams than. Oh, them. I think I think there are worse teams. But just given the nature of the squad, and other people have used the phrase mercenaries, mm. I do wonder that when the when it gets tough for them, if they do get dragged in, say they lose their next two or three games. I don't know who they're yeah. against, but in theory they could. Does that then present? If they lose their next two games, it's one draw in five. That could then present an issue for them. And it's just whether that group of players is the right group of players to pull them through that. Okay. Well, yeah. So their next three, it's home It's home to Everton, it's away to Spurs, and then it's home to Newcastle. So those three games, okay, Everton aside, you've got Spurs and Newcastle. They're going to be tough fixtures, no doubt. But then after that, you've got... Wolves at home, you've got Leeds away, you've got Villa away. Those next three, those I think are the crucial games. I think look at the performance level that they potentially put in against Everton. That would be my sort of gauge about how they've, you know, whether or not Saturday was a a, a bad day at the office. Yeah, don't get me wrong. They're 
the city ground is a fortress and they do turn out most of their results there. I think if you're to look at how many points they've got at home compared to away, obviously they do exceptionally well at home. Um, I just don't think that there's uh, the way I'm looking at teams and we'll get on to as usual, the relegation battle, but just the way the way teams are moving at the moment in terms of the quality of their performance, I see a lot of teams moving up and looking positive. Yeah, and just Forest in my mind are the team that have taken probably the biggest drop in the new year. I think that they've. I'd stopped. say Forest have taken the biggest one of the biggest climbs, and they've, they've managed to get themselves. Sorry, up to okay, the maybe not this year, but the last couple of weeks, like I don't know, it's been a bit of a. Obviously, they were relegation zone. They then started picking up those points. They started to look well, and then they've kind of faltered and they're dropping down a little bit now as to where we thought they could be at. Well, yeah, I mean, it is one point in two games, effectively, and you know we've we've said it many times this season already that you know a, a bad couple of games can bring you down a peg or two, especially in that relegation fight. Let's not forget that that one point was against Manchester City. Well, of course, um, yeah. So I, I, I'm. I'm still sticking with the viewpoint that I think Forest shouldn't be worried. They're still relegation candidates, don't get me wrong, but I think how they perform against Everton will be the sort of yeah. litmus, litmus right, test right, about right. where they are in terms of the relegation battle. I just battle. think there is, in my mind, there is one place in that, there's one place in that bottom three up for grabs and there are currently six teams in that fight yeah. and given the way they performed at the weekend, I think they're well, well and truly in that. Oh yeah, if they, if they perform like that, then, then then you know, if they if they're a team that as soon as they concede one goal, their heads drop, then by all means, you know, they deserve to be sort of falling down the table. But I, at the moment, in my head, I just, I just think that was just a bad day at the office. Well, let's hope so for Cooper. I guess he's um, he's had a lot to work with this season, and they mm. have been making progress. So for them, I think based on their their expenditure over the summer and the players they've brought in staying in the Premier League is absolutely imperative for them. Absolutely vital. Okay, Tom, I'm going to take you on to clue two for our little game. Yeah. Okay. Our injury-prone man made his way onto the international stage, making 33 appearances for the three Lions. He also had stints in East and West London before ending his career in 2013. Now, your first guess was Kieran Dyer. You are welcome to stick with that, or you are welcome to put forward another name instead. I mean, just purely on the fact that you said he, like, I'm going back to clue number one, the fact that you said heated moment in the northeast, that immediately brings me to Kieran Dyer and. Um, oh god, who else did he fight with? I can't remember. It was oh, it was um, it was Lee Bowyer, wasn't it? It was it was Bowyer against Kieran Dyer. Um, yeah, I, I'm sticking. I'm sticking. I don't think was Lee Bowyer from Suffolk. I don't think he was. No, I'm I'm sticking with Kieran Dyer. Okay, well, we'll go on to clue three a little later in the show. Despite the Saints' fantastic result at Stamford Bridge last time out, Southampton went back to form and lost their Saturday fixture against relegation contenders Leeds United. Despite the permanent appointment of Sellers, the fortunes haven't changed for the team from the South Coast. Is it more certain than ever that they're not going to be hanging around in the Premier League much longer, Tom? 
They, they are they, currently twentieth. Yeah, twenty-four played, eighteen points, forty-one goals conceded. Yeah, they they were very much to form at the weekend against Leeds. You know, by the fact that they lost at home, that they, they really are poor at St Mary's. I think that is one of the key things that has killed Southampton's season. Apart from the other fact that they're just complete dog shite. Um, but not making light of a decent home form does 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 hurt you. I would say this: I do think that you know Southampton made some poor decisions this this season so far. Number one, probably being the appointment of Nathan Jones, and you know questionable about whether or not they should have sat Ralph in the first place. Um, but they wanted to go in a different direction. I think now the decision to make Sellers the permanent manager until the end of the season I think is a good decision um, purely on the aspects you know he, he he is inexperienced in terms of actual management you know he's been sort of his career um, is, is quite interesting but I'll go and say in a minute um, but you know the, the Chelsea game you saw an immediate bond there with fans um, and players there's some footage inside the dressing room um, I think before, I think it was either the Leeds game or the Chelsea game where he's sort of doing a, a pre-match talk, uh, getting all the players hyped up. You can you can see there's sort of like, there's some form of inspiration. There's a little bit of sort of G up uh, about him. And I think, um, well, I pretty much know, you know, that Nathan Jones never had that sort of bond um, with either the fans or the players. And it all just seemed weird from, from the get-go. Um, whereas Sellers now has that. I think no matter what happens... Sellers has an opportunity here to just uh, sort of just give it his best. Um, and I think realistically, that's all that Southampton can ask for at this moment. Um, so, yeah, Saturday would have been a massive disappointment the fact that they lost against one of their relegation rivals. But I, I think from this point on, um, they just need to focus on just getting behind him and seeing what, what good they can get out of for the remainder of the season. Yeah, I think if anything, the remainder of the season is perhaps have to get a look at your squad, build that relationship, start building something with a view to the fact that next season they will be in the championship and they're going to have to bounce back because yeah. it's something just it, doesn't change. They're in the championship, as far as I can, as far as I can tell. Yeah, I think it's really tough. He's come in. Obviously, Nathan Jones wasn't the correct appointment. He's now in his permanent role. I think. That is very much, I think, after the Jones experience, I think there maybe is an acceptance from Southampton that, because the fact they didn't even try to bring anyone else in, I think it yeah. is a case of, oh, we're most likely down. Unless a miracle happens, which you never know, but yeah. most like, more likely than not, they're down and they're going to have to do something. Um, they're going to have to stop putting in a long-term plan to look across the summer into next season and building around their new manager, um, which... So I, I don't think it was the worst appointment they could have made, to be honest. I think it's 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 a very sensible move. Um, yeah. Obviously, then, the game against Leeds at the weekend... Oh, like... I only watched the highlights and I can only thank the Lord that I wasn't in the ground because based purely on the highlights, it wasn't it a game was of the ages, was it? A dreadful game of football. Genuinely, absolutely woeful. 
it's, um, it's like it's one of those games like if the Palace Liverpool game wasn't nil nil, that would be the last match of the day, hundred percent. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. Um, I just neither team had really any class in not in in terms of like their performance, in terms of their play. They just didn't really have any class. There's no cutting edge between either of them. Yeah. Anytime it got into the box, it just looked like a lot of shots drove wide. Oh, there was, just, was, there was a, a distinct lack of a lack of quality in that game. A lack of um, composure. Any time, like it all just got yeah. very messy very quickly. Yeah, if, if it in shows the worst these, way imaginable. You know, if you know, it, it shows why these two teams are, are where they are. Unfortunately, oh. and that is yeah. Oh, exactly. Um, so, yeah. Um, but obviously, oh, Leeds got the three points, and it's essential, as we've been talking about, getting the points from the teams around them. And I think most teams, um, looking at the way Southampton have been recently, pretty much any team would be disappointed not to be getting the three points from them. CC Todd Bowley. Um, <laughs> but obviously, Leeds for them, it's a good three points, and I suppose a re welcoming into the Premier League for Javi Gracia. Yeah, um, the ex-Watford manager uh, well, finally which, got announced. <laughs> saying the ex-Watford manager is like saying the ex-girlfriend of Hugh Hefner. Um, <laughs> which, which, I mean, which one can you ask? I mean, um, what, like the long-term manager that was Javi Gracia for Watford, the 66 games that he was in charge for. Probably the long... I think one of the longest serving in yeah. recent history. Um, um, but but again, he himself... I, I, yeah isn't one for hanging about anywhere. This is my only thing. Like no. we I don't know what sort of deal that Leeds have given it's him. A flexible contract is what they put in the statement. So a flexible I contract. I have no idea what that means. A flexible contract means if you stay up, we'll consider you for the permanent role. Yeah. If we get relegated, you're gone. And um, um, I'll also add to the fact that he's only just recently after the appointment got made that he's now been granted a work visa. So was he working before he got a work visa? Potentially, Suella, Suella, there's an illegal, illegal. one in Leeds. <laughs> um, no, but looking at the where he's been recently, he doesn't really last anywhere for any no. length of period. Of, so he has been unemployed since June, where he ended his stint with Al Saad, where he spent 22 games, but 22 games, 16 wins, two draws. A 72% win record, which is... If Leeds can get that, you'd be laughing. Well, currently he's got a 100% record with them. Um, I'd imagine that... So does Sam, otherwise with England. I'd imagine the the Qatar Stars League is probably a little bit of a different level compared to the Premier League. Before that, he was at Valencia for just under a year, um, but managed 38 games there. Then before that, he was at Watford, where he managed a mighty 66 over a year and a half's period. Made an FA Cup final as well, let's not forget. True. Before that, Ruben Kazan, 34 games. Before that, two years at Malaga, so 84 games. Osasuna, 39 games for about a season. And so he spent, and then before that, Almira um, in, from pretty much a year from June 2012 to June 2013. So he loves Spanish football, which obviously makes sense since he played pretty much all his career in Spain. 
Also um, in Spanish. Yeah, also helps. <laughs> I, I suppose the thing is, is he really that long-term appointment that... Because every club is looking for stability in reality. Obviously, they're not afraid of making the... They're not afraid of giving the managers the chop when they feel that performances aren't going their way. So looking at their long-term plan, is this an appointment with a view to a long-term plan or is it a case of this is a... Well, obviously, we know that if he if they don't survive the season, he's probably gone. But is this sort of manager you could really develop a long-term plan with, which I think Leeds desperately need? In terms of Leeds, since they've been up in the Premier League and to some extent them in the Championship when they were, you know, season after season sort of falling short, Leeds haven't been known to keep managers on for the long term. So it's not really in Leeds sort of DNA um, in, in recent history. Yes, they did have Bielsa for, what was it, like three and a half four years nearly um but since obviously since they've come back up to the prem they had effectively a year and a half of bielsa they had a year of marsh um and now they've got in a manager like you said with javi gracia who doesn't spend that long at any club that he's that he's at obviously the, the win at the weekend is is a good start and again if they if they can if he can keep them clear of relegation then like Marsh, then they'll just take that on into, into the following campaign um, and and go from there. But um, I, I I do I do like the appointment. I think you know Watford fans were very disappointed to see the back of of him. Um, you know, considering everything they've done for them, um, obviously kept them clear of relegation after Silver got set to the FA Cup final. Yes, they did get thumped by City um, in that game. Um, and then four games into the start of the new campaign, he gets sacked by Watford, a very Watford decision um, at that point. But um, yeah, I, I was sort of looking at it. I, I was sort of looking through his stats earlier on um, in sort of preparation for, for this show. And like you, just looking at the length of time that he spent at clubs. And it, again, it just doesn't, it, it's just, it screams like journeyman, like like you have sort of players in, in like just going from club to club, you know, it's a manager that goes from club to club. Um, in, in in sixteen years of management, he's been at thirteen clubs, which yeah, is it, it, it doesn't scream it doesn't, it doesn't scream, scream stability, stability and long term plan. No, um, but who, who knows? I mean, he, he he's still highly regarded at Watford. You know, that obviously showed something with the fans. If if they can if we can keep them up, um, I think he, he deserves an opportunity. Because, yeah, I, it's an interesting one. Yeah, it is. Um, I think, I think, given what there was on the market and what's available, I don't think mm. it was a bad appointment. Um, no. and obviously, it's worked straight away. Initial three points, boom. Let's see where they can go from here. So, looking at their games going forwards, um, so they've got um. FA Cup game against Fulham, which I don't think will particularly be a priority. But then they're playing Chelsea, Brighton, Wolves and Arsenal in their next four uh, to round off the end of March, start yeah. of April. So I think, I don't know, Chelsea beat <laughs> Leeds. Chelsea at the moment oh. more than more than doable. Brighton a little bit of a rocky patch. Wolves also down in the relegation battle, and then Arsenal. You don't expect anything from it, so it's almost like a free hit. So yeah, 
Um, and then Forest after that, and then Palace after that. So they've, they've got a decent run coming up where they can definitely pick up some points, potentially. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a, probably a good moment for him to yeah. come in and test his managerial yeah. know-how. Yeah. I'd also just like to go back on to Ruben Sellers if we've just got a couple of minutes. Absolutely. Um, for those who don't know his sort of background, this is a guy who's actually never played football professionally. He was so, very... So you're saying there's a chance for me to become an elite Premier League manager? We all can. I mean, you know, we've all done football manager. We've all taken sort of, you know, Eastley up from the, the, the National League up to sort of playing Champions League football, haven't we? So there's there's a chance for all of us. Um, Jay I, I, I used to well. just prefer the financial takeover option and just have billions to spend from the start. Yeah, but yeah, you, do, you did the Newcastle approach, I see. Um, but yeah, he... Um, he gained a master's degree in sports and physiology and then got his UA for pro license when he was 25. And then from that point on, he's just sort of, he's gradually ended up in the managerial position of Southampton. Um, but this is obviously his first managerial appointment. His other roles since then have very much been sort of either bench or, you know, he's a fitness coach in Greece and Spain for a couple of years and then has, has had like assistant managerial roles in like Russia, Denmark, Azerbaijan, um, he went to a club in, in Norway where he, he became the like chief days analyst. So he's had multiple sort of different roles in, in football um, and now is sort of venturing gradually into the side of actually managing clubs. So again, it, it'll be an interesting one to see, to see if it, it works. Um, but he obviously took over from um, or got introduced to Southampton under Ralph's um, sort of part of his backroom team um, actually last year. Um, I think it was in June 22 that he, he got given the um the, the job as um as part of the uh, backroom staff and then obviously took over on an inter uh, interim basis after Ralph got sacked, then got made um as part of the backroom staff under Nathan Jones. Nathan Jones got sacked uh, for obvious reasons, um and has now been given the the chance to do it. So it's a it's a guy with an interesting past, um and he's you know one of a, a rare sort of breed really where not really played football but has coached football yeah I d- for his career i don't so the likes of the villas boas and the um and the jose Mourinho's yeah, of the world but, but, yeah well exactly it's been proved that you don't need that experience yeah. to because let's be honest there's lots of ma- there's lots of players that don't ever make it in management so yeah it's easy to just look at Gerard and lampard how they've had mixed mixed success so hmm. just because you've kicked the ball around the pitch doesn't mean you know how to tell other people to kick it around yeah um I'm more intrigued by how there's very much a Spanish takeover of the Premier League in terms of management. So yeah. we've got Lopetegui, we've yeah. got Sellers, we've got Pep, we've Arteta. got Javi Gra- Gracia, we've got Arteta, and we've got Emery. So that's six that's six managers yeah. currently in the Premier League who are um who are Spanish and no one really, no other nationality really compares to that in the slightest. So no. it's a, quite a quite a phenomenal takeover from them. It, yeah, it might be the return of sort of uh, Spanish football, sort of in the heyday of sort of the uh, the uh, the late noughties. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe, but um, no, I think um, 
good appointment for Southampton in the grand scheme of things, and we'll just see how they build from here. But yeah, just a sensible decision, I think. Yeah, uh, so yeah, fair play, sensible, rational decision, not going for anything too fancy, and um, yeah. let's see how it goes for them. But let's be honest, there's not really an expectation at this point for him to succeed. No. So it's, but I mean, it, what else can a manager do when they don't have any exactly? Windows? Exactly, it's 14 games of free yeah. hit. Try and get the most out of your players and see what you can build for looking into next season. Yeah. So, Tom, as we're recording, we've got tonight and tomorrow, there are some FA Cup fixtures where six of the other 14 will be trying to make it through to the quarterfinals. Um, In terms of opportunities to go through, uh, we've got Brighton away at the Britannia. And even if it's not called the Britannia anymore, it will always be known as the Britannia to me. Yeah, it's not the best Uh, 6 5 it's the Britannia. Um, then Leicester are welcoming Blackburn Rovers, who knocked West Ham out of the League Cup earlier this season. Then we have an other 14 derby with Fulham v Leeds at Craven Cottage. Southampton probably have one of the easiest of the draws at home to Grimsby Town, so possibly another free hit for Sellers. Yeah. Um, the lowest the lowest ranked side left in the um in the wow in, in, the, in the FA Cup. Well good. Good luck to them, but hopefully Southampton should be able to do a job there. Yeah, And then we also have David Moyes making a return journey to Old Trafford, where um, there's been lots of great FA Cup fixtures between West Ham and Manchester United throughout the season. So we'll, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Um, but with only, in terms of big teams... Man City, Man U and Tottenham still in the competition. I still think there's a good chance of one of the other 14 slipping their way into the final because if uh, if there, uh, if City, Manchester United or Tottenham get through to the, the next round, there's a good chance that they'll play one another, one of them will, and um, that'll kind of leave a crack in the door for one of the other 14, really, won't it? Oh, 100%. Yeah, looking forward to seeing um, how some of these games sort of turn out. Um, and hopefully we get a a repeat of Newcastle making their way uh, to the final, so we can see you know another another member of the other fourteen um, either make it to Wembley, i.e. via the semi final. Um, something that I I don't agree with having you know Wembley semi final just doesn't make any no, sense whatsoever. Not, not not at all. Should never be there. Should yeah. never be a case. Should be neutral ground. But anyway, move, moving on from that. Well, um, Wembley yeah, guess, Wembley is a neutral ground, but it shouldn't yeah, be like the final. It, it, yeah. it makes the final less special. Um, but that, that's a rant for another time. Um, yeah, I think there's a big opportunity there for one of the other fourteen to, to definitely make it um, into the sort of latter stages, the business end of the tournament. Being one of those fools making the trip up to Old Trafford tomorrow, um, I'm hoping that uh, at least the the lads put in a reasonable performance. You're hoping for a little bit of a Manchester United hangover off the weekend. Yeah, and like because they've had Europa League, they've then had the League Cup final. It, if you're gonna, I know they're on hot form, but if you're gonna play them, it's once they maybe had a a late night partying a a trophy win. Yeah. So, um, We'll see. Now, and what might become a regular feature on the pod, reminiscing on other 14 moments gone by, we say happy anniversary, 18 years in fact, to a classic Premier League moment. The date is the 28th of February, 2005. The location is Carrow Road. It's half time and a key fixture for Norwich City as they look to ease relegation fears. 
They were up against pre-money Manchester City. It was going well for the Canaries, as they were two goals to the good after 16 minutes, thanks to Dean Ashton and Leon McKenzie. City, however, fought back well, and goals from Anton Sibieski and God himself, Robbie Fowler, when the game was level at the break. Now, those who know Norwich will be aware of the fact that TV chef Delia Smith is part owner of the club. Half-time came about, and Delia wanted to rally the home fans some way, so that the players were inspired to go all out in the second half and seal a vital three points. The only method that was available at the time was a microphone. What ensued is British footballing heritage. shrieking, inspirational, slightly cringy stuff from Delia. Did it work? Robbie Fowler got the winner for City in the 92nd minute and Norwich were ultimately relegated on the last day, but a moment that will live on forever in other falls in history. Thank you, Delia. Um, it's having, um, having studied in Norwich, um, it's obviously quite okay with uh, Carrow Road and having been a number of times and I don't think there's a time where I've been to Carrow Road and I've not somewhat imitated Delia by screaming out those famous words in a manner similar to a middle-aged woman who's perhaps had a yep. couple too many glasses of wine. Um, still to this day, she still states that she did not have a drink. Oh, well, the fact that she went... I think, that's even, I think that's even more damning. I think that's more damning that on a sober mind, she thought that was a good approach. Yeah. Um, Apparently, she wanted to put some form of like display up at half time uh, or something like one of the message boards, potentially sort of trying to uh, con a little bit of support, but they didn't have anything available at the time. So they just handed her a microphone as they thought that was going to be the best option that could have come out of that. So, in terms of half time antics. Obviously, we've had a lot in the Premier League. We've had some really interesting ones. Yeah. So the other one that really springs to mind as an incredibly prominent one is... I know you're going with this. Is Phil Brown, also yep. against Man City, with Hull, where he did his team talk yep. on the pitch at the Etihad. Um, although it wasn't called... I can't remember if it was called the Etihad at the time. Um, uh, either way... Obviously, he was very dissatisfied with Hull's performance up until that point. So he then did, he then sat his players down and told them off on the pitch at half time. Yep. Also, not to have a positive effect on the game, I don't believe. No. So, in terms, I think this is something we could maybe look into another episode of half time antics and where we think. They rank in terms do we, of. Do we rank them? Do we have a. I, I, a, I think almost. Or a, a draft. Adelia, I think a Phil Brown scale or whatever. In terms of like success of the outcome of what yeah. was done at half time and what happened, and also just the general humour and laughability of it all, because I think. Um, Where do we rate? Do we rate it? Yeah, because I think there's probably plenty that we could look into, um, not just at the Premier League, not just the other 14. But I think it's um, there's definitely some stuff that we could yeah. have a look into and review and have a think about because there's a 
definitely some classic moments. Obviously, Delia's being one of the most famous, um, just because that screeching tone that she absolutely nails. Oh. It's um it's the dry voice kind of not getting the volume without the kind of creakiness. It's yeah, it's phenomenal from old uh, old Delia. So um uh absolutely 18 love years it. to and the day. 18, 18 a, years old. Oh what a moment. Imagine being born on this day 18 years ago and you're less famous and less important to the world than Delia Smith screaming let's be having you at half time or oh, it's a great thing to hang on to say I was born on the day that Delia shrieked well Tom thank you for that little bit of Premier League history and it's certainly not something that we're going to forget anytime soon 18 years on or 80 years on it will still be very yeah. very memorable and if we have any sort of Norwich City supporters who do listen to the pod, please message in. And, and if you actually were at a game, I'd yes. love to know what the general vibe was. And also for all other 14 fans, we would love to hear your best Delia impressions. So please uh, hop onto social media and either tweet us or Instagram us your best Delia shrieks. We'd be happy to listen to them and for them to brighten up our day. So, Tom. Um, now is the time for our goal of the week contest due to uh, postponed Premier League fixtures you've only really got 10 goals to pick from goal of the week it's not an inspiring bunch of goals this week Um, I've already mentioned the fact that Danny Ings two goals for West Ham this week will definitely not be winning goal of the week by the fact I think they probably scored from combined total distance of about five yards but there are some goals that go down um, on the shortlist for this week's goal of the week first off I'm naming the Friday night fixture was um, Fulham playing host to Wolves Um, Fulham were 1-0 down at this moment but uh, Manor Solomon with his third goal in consecutive games scoring the equaliser for Fulham against the Wolves. It was a lovely little curling finish um, past the outstretched arms of Jose Sarr to get Fulham back on level terms and ultimately earning them a point. Lovely little finish from him. Similar sort of goal, um, this time at the London Stadium, scored by Declan Rice against Nottingham Forest. Um, But that, that was more of a standing start, I'd say. It was a lovely sort of stop the ball, pick a point and just shoot and again a lovely little curling finish into the top right more sort of higher up this time um so a bit more difficult for navas to to stop uh, and then the final um, goal can um, i just say that's champions league and la liga winner kaylor navas yeah 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 you can you can um it won't it won't add to the um to the uh the potential of declan winning the uh the goal of the week but i'll i'll take it for note uh, and then finally, on my shortlist, I've got Emmy Wendia's goal against Everton. Um, not too much to it. Um, I don't think ultimately will be winning goal of the week, but it was a nice little sell um, to trick the defenders. Um, would jink onto the left-hand side and then a powerful finish um, on Pickford's near post um, to seal a um, a good, strong 2-0 victory for Villa at, um, at Goodison, especially the fact that Everton have been so strong um, in the last sort of couple of games that they've played I'd also like to point out that's Pete beating uh, that's in a game where there's some absolutely phenomenal saves 
Um, oh, Pickford in that, outstanding couple of saves. Pickford, that one where he par- like saves it onto the post is yeah. is unbelievable from the lad. So, um, yeah, I really rate. Um, I really rated that game purely for that. Um, yeah. I'm surprised. Um, I'm really, really, genuinely surprised that Junior Thurpo's goal against Southampton wasn't mentioned, considering it was absolutely awful and surely you've only got to be talented to be able to produce a goal in such an awful game where there was such a void in quality I think the ball resented going over the line I, I like how does that ball go in I, I, I was watching the, I was watching the highlights and I saw obviously Furpo shoot and I was like I know this game is 1-0 um, but this can't be the winning goal oh the ball's in the back of the net how the hell did that happen like it was a um, mess. It was ugly, and I hated everything about it. It just, it just sort of seemed to crawl underneath the hands of the keeper, and just ended up into the back of the net, and just said the the, the game just sort of said sod this. I need this need this game needs a winner, and this is going to be the one that does it. Um, and I think pretty much summed up the quality level in that game. Um, so for that reason, yeah, Furpo does not make it to goal of the week because it it was just just general crap from that game to be honest um football it's was almost, definitely not the winner it's it's almost as if i think there should be an arbiter to decide whether three points should actually be awarded for a win in such a game where yeah. the game is a such low quality they turn around and go no only 90 minutes only success to... of people's lives and yeah. that is oh, all you've got to show yeah, for you, it you may have won the game but we're only awarding you two points and then yeah. you put, give the extra point to a game that's of good quality so like if there's a great like three all draw you can then loan yeah. you can then give that point to that game and they split it like a uh, half a point each I like um, that. i'm sure that wouldn't mess up the premier league table at all but Oh, could you imagine going that. back in the record in the record books and trying to sort of recalculate, sort of um... dig out all the dreadful games and recalculate yeah. the table. Well, if anyone's uh, if anyone's the man for it, it's definitely you, Tom. Um, okay, and back to the main thing. Goal so we actually have week. to make a winner. We have you to do. announce a winner. I think the two that is that are of the highest quality are somewhat similar goals. Um, yeah. Obviously, there was. Um, both meant different things to each each team. Obviously, yeah. Fulham clawing back uh, the draw against Wolves with Solomon's goal. And then that goal from Declan Rice really sinking Forest. They were 2-0 down. It was part of that quick-fire four goals. It was the third one, and that really did Yes, yeah, that also screwed me over for Fab Four. That did. Um, well, so there's a little bit of resentment. You can blame Mikel Antonio as well because he got he got one as well. So if um, anything, blame Danny because well, he shouldn't have scored two in the first place. Yeah, um, well, yeah, but yeah, um, yeah. So who who's it? Who are you awarding this week's goal of the week award to, Tom? Well, like you said, they are very similar. Um, so in that essence, I should you know it's very difficult to pick between them. However, saying that. Rice's was more from a standing start and I think he had the same level of power on it. So I think in terms of a technical standpoint, I think Rice's is a lot more difficult than Solomon's. The fact that he actually has to do it from a standing start and then curl it and he got a bit more height on it as well. I think that's just a better strike as opposed to Solomon's. I think Solomon maybe run onto the ball 
he had that additional sort of bit of power behind it, but just a bit more lower. And, you know, Saar could have potentially saved it. Um, who knows? But um, I, I do look at Rice as, as the better out of the two. So for that reason, Rice gets my goal of the week. Well, congratulations, Declan Rice, on scoring an absolute banger, getting all three points for West Ham. And Am I right in saying that's his first goal of the season as well? Yeah, I believe... I believe it is. I can't think of another one he's scored this season. Um, he's not been too consistent, but no West Ham player has, in all fairness. No. I just want to put in a little break here that uh, while we've been recording, there has been some Premier League breaking news. And this has been a... Uh, we've just been talking about great results, and this is a great result for the FA, as Ivan Tony has pleaded guilty to... 262 charges what <laughs> he's he's pled guilty to them so i can only imagine that um there could Ooh. be there could be a potential ban coming his way he's decided not to hold up the process but yeah um 262 Ooh. charges he's pled guilty to so like i'm not bearing in mind Bear in mind, I know it was different league, but um, Kieran Trippier got a couple games suspended for telling his mates to bet on him moving to Madrid. Mm. Ivan Tony, two hundred and sixty-two. I this, think that's a bit. That's could, a big ban coming. This could unfortunately. be unfortunately. Okay, but at what point is it there? Any obviously, two hundred and sixty-two is massive. But at what point does it like? Does it actually escalate with any more negative repercussions? Because he's going. Well, if he's if he's put on twenty bets, he might as well have put on fifty bets. And if he's put on fifty bets, that's already a lot. So he, it might as well be a hundred. He might as well be two hundred sixty-two. Yeah, if he's put on hundred, he might as well have put on two hundred sixty-two. So, yeah. but I mean, it's in like the scale of bar, like offense. Like, what are you going to do? Like, go? Oh, it's like one game ban per offense. It's like, well, yeah, he's, okay. not gonna, he's not going to okay. be banned for two hundred sixty-two okay. games, is it? Exactly. So um, I'm not sure what they're going to do with that. No, um, I, I think it'll be it'll probably be on the fact that it in the excess nature of the betting they did. I just think, you know, betting in, in general from a professional sports player, especially in, I, I don't know what the bets were about. Um, I think, I think the whole black and white nature of them, but it is black and white. You just don't do it. Um, yeah, I know. But and, at the same time, I kind of think that if he's a premier league striker and he's betting on conference league games, then what does it matter? Um, I, I know that. But I know, I know, it, but that's it, not it, the rules. It, he knows it the rules. He broke white. the yeah. rules. Um, um I don't uh, think that the number of bets will amount to anything, but I think just the fact that it was in excess will add a couple of games, maybe. Yeah, I, I think um, more than anything, I think he should be allowed off if he's only betting on himself every time. Um, I think we've spoken about this at length, but um, yeah, it'll be a, I can imagine it'll be a sizable ban for Tony, and we yeah. just wonder how that's going to impact Brentford's um, European charge um, for the rest of the season. Well, they've been playing okay. Um, like been a little hit weeks. or miss, but they were on a um, they've been on like a ridiculous unbeaten run. So yeah. um, it'll be a shame uh, I, to I, see. I, I still, I still think Brentford will be will be happy with how the season's gone so oh, far. I do. This will just... derail it somewhat, but yeah. Um, but no, uh, two hundred sixty-two. That's quite impressive, Ivan. <laughs> well done. Yeah, well, well done to you. And now it is time for our Fab 
for contest, the competition that pitches our school prediction skills against one another. And this week was not one of our strongest weeks, was it, Tom? Oh, it's back-to-back weeks. We haven't been strong, have we? Well, I got a whole three points last week, but I think you're fine, Tom. Yeah. Um, look, I, I, will, I will say this. I was close to having a, a fantastic week. And then it all went wrong when Declan scored the third. Because uh, I was at one point where... Hang on. Villa were 1-0 up and West Ham were 2-0 up. So all I really needed was an Everton equaliser and then I would have been on for six points. Oh, no. That, that's, that's a real, that's um, a real and shame. And then it all went wrong. Yeah, I think... Um, I think in terms of our predictions... Well, I gap was good. Fulham Wolves, I think the one all um probably a fair result in that game, but both of us called it either way, actually. Um yeah. either of us going for the draw. Uh but that's that's a tough one to call. Um because Fulham have been pretty good at home um this season. Then Everton Villa, I optimistically went for that dice yeah. bounce continuing, but Emery's men had a different idea. But... I, I went for the right sort of angle that Everton wouldn't win the game, but I wasn't expecting Villa to put yeah. in the performance that they did. And then for West Ham v Forest, you went for the home win, which was correct. So um, you went for 2-0, but it was 4-0. I went for a dual purely on the basis that um, I was being negative about West Ham because I didn't want to get too excited by myself. So I'm prepared to take that point hit that I probably would have gone for a West Ham win, but I just didn't want to get too ahead of myself. And then Leeds v Southampton, yeah. we both saw that Southampton were not going to get anything out of the game, just by different score margins. Um, it was obviously 1-0. Um, you went for 2-1 and I went for 2-0. That then puts us on. So, Tom, you are uh, you got two points from this game week, which puts you on 30 points. And I got just... 10 points from safety. And I just got the solitary one point, which puts me on 34. And well, Tom, can you tell us what games we have to look forward to in the upcoming game week? So here are the upcoming fixtures for match week 26 of the Premier League 22-23 season. It's a battle of the monies as it's Manchester City going up against Newcastle. We've got Chelsea against Leeds in the first of the three o'clocks on the Saturday. And then it's Arsenal against Bournemouth. And then Palace uh, go to Aston Villa. Brian play host to West Ham in the dreaded bogey team match. And then it's Wolves against Tottenham. Southampton play host to Leicester City. It's Nottingham Forest versus Everton. And then Fulham travel to the community stadium where they face Brentford with potentially Ivan Tony less Brentford. I don't see it necessarily going through that quickly. Um, but I'll be intrigued no, to see. It what... won't be the case, but yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll see what happens with dear old Ivan. Um, so looking at fixtures for the game week uh, for us to predict. So we have the Christian Benteke derby as Villa host Palace. We then have Brighton v West Ham, which should be one of the easiest games for us to predict since a West Ham win is completely impossible in this game. Then a fantastic relegation battle with Forrest v Everton. Can Daish's men 
go to the city ground and perform some miracles. And then we have, I'm going to say, a, a top of the table battle that we weren't necessarily expecting um, at the start Not of the really, season. No. With Brentford taking on Fulham. So with that, that is Fulham in sixth and Brentford in ninth, which is absolutely, West London. absolutely crazy. So a bit of a West London derby there. So Tom, Villa v Palace. Palace on a bit of a slow run of form and Villa have been doing quite all right since Emery's taken over. Where do you think all the points are going to go? Yeah, Palace tend to not travel well. They haven't won a game all year long. Villa, like you said, under Emery, have had a bit of a bounce ever since he's come in, really. Um, They've started to score a lot more goals now. Uh, They had a period where they were conceding a fair few, but Palace don't tend to score that many. Um, um, I'm just going to go big here. I'm going to say Villa 3, Palace 1. Villa 3, Palace 1. That is quite the prediction. Um, I think you're probably right. I think Palace have been a bit ropey recently. They've got a lot of draws recently with four of their last five games ending in draws. Um, But going to Villa Park is obviously quite a difficult prospect. Um, I am going to go for a 2-1 Aston Villa win. Okay, we then got down at the Amex where Brighton are playing West Ham. Brighton just know how to not lose to West Ham. But after West Ham's kind of positive performance at the weekend, I could see there it being a two-all draw. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, I am under the impression that it will be a draw. I think Brighton not playing... At the weekend, might help them out just to get a few fresh legs in there. Although they will be playing um, tonight in the FA Cup, but depending on what sort of team they put out. But also looking about the recent history of Brighton against West Ham, I'm also looking for a draw, but West Ham don't score that much. Those are the sort of lines of thinking that I'm going down. Um, I'm going to say a one-all draw. Eight, one, one draw. Oh, we're going to look like mugs if West Ham win now, aren't we? Okay, and yeah, then... we are. But you'll be happy. Yeah, I will be. You're right. Okay, and then Forest v Everton. Um, obviously, the city ground has been a bit of a fortress so far this season when Forest have been welcoming in teams from the lower half of the table with them having won four and only lost one so far. So, Tom, do you think Daesh's men have enough to change that outcome? Yeah, I mean, we've we've discussed it already in the pods that obviously Forrest had a, a poor game at the weekend against uh, West Ham at London Stadium. I think there will be a reaction just to the fact they are at home. Uh, got the home support behind them. Everton, I still think, will make it a difficult game for them, and I I can see them scoring. They don't. There's you know there's two teams here that don't don't score a lot of goals. Um, that's plain to see. Um, and Forest, the games that they've won at the City Ground, realistically holding them win them by one goal to nil, and that that's that tends to be the, the formula for them. Um, but I do see Everton nicking a goal. 
So again, sort of similar to the Brighton West Ham, I'm going to go for a one-all draw. A one-one draw. Um, I just think Forest are just very good at home from these teams, and I think I'd kick myself if this result came up and I didn't predict it. So I'm just going to go for a Forest 1-0 win. Okay, we then have Marco Silva taking his men to the community stadium to face off against Thomas Frank. Wow. These teams are just both very good. Um, But Brentford are on a bit of an obscene run at the moment where they just don't lose football games. The last one in the league that they did lose was all the way back against Jeez, how far am I having to go? Against Villa on the... Have they not lost since they played Villa on the 23rd of October? No, surely not. Yeah, they haven't. They, um... only, I think they've only lost they've only lost four games all season, I think. Yeah, so the last time they lost in the Premier League was 23rd How have we not October. spoken about this? We Next week we will be, because since then, they've drawn with Wolves. Right, I'm, we're sorry, Brentford, Forest, for not ever picking up on this. Beaten, beaten, well, we spoke about when they've got good results, so they beat City. They've then drawn with Spurs, beat West Ham, beat Liverpool, l- beat Bournemouth, drew with Leeds, beat Southampton, drew with Arsenal, and drew with Palace last week. They don't lose games at the moment, so... That's an incredible run. I'm going to go for a 2-2 draw, because they don't lose, and I fancy Fulham getting a couple of goals, so... Okay, okay. Um, I was also sort of thinking along that line, but then Fulham have been a little bit sort of hit and miss over the last sort of couple of games. You know, a win here uh, uh, against Brian, which was a great result for them, uh, but then they sort of, you know, sip up a little bit at home to Fulham. Uh, at home to Fulham, wow. Um, at home to Wolves, whereby you expected, I think, Fulham to do a little bit in that game. Um, and then, yeah, I, I say hit and miss. You know, that's also ignoring the fact that they did beat Forest two 0 and they had a nil nil draw against Chelsea. But anyone can pick up a draw against Chelsea at the moment. Um, but. They on that run, they've also not been scoring a lot of goals themselves. I don't see them scoring twice against Brentford. I think Brentford have been solid over the last little couple of weeks. Um, and you know, it's clear to see that they just they just don't lose. Um, I think that run will also continue. I'm gonna say a Brentford two Fulham one result. So Brentford two Fulham one result. I don't think that's a city prediction considering the run that Brentford are on. Um oh well. Thing is, once again, we've gone for home wins or draws, and there's always an away win in there. There always is. There always is, but I just don't. I, I just don't I know. Say, who, I, I, I say this I, every week. I don't see it. Yeah, and I don't know. Palace have Villa Palace have been a bit well. rocky, and then no, but you never know. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see how they all go next week. Okay, Tom, time for your final clue and um, you can decide whether you want to stick with your prediction of yeah. Kieran Dyer or whether you want to move on to 
another answer. This attacking midfielder had a reputation for being king of injuries, which significantly shortened his playing time for the Magpies, the Hammers and the R's. Yeah, I, I'm 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 still sticking with Kieran Dyer, I'm afraid. Well, I have to say, Tom, um you are correct, but because you got it on the first try, when this comes back next week, I'm going to have to make the clues a lot more difficult. Because... <laughs> you shouldn't have started with an like the northeast sort of feistiness uh, or whatever yeah, you said. I, I thought I threw that into it, but if I hadn't mentioned that, I think that would have made it I needed something to narrow it down an element without making it I made it too easy straight away. But I think if, in, injury if, I, with... if I if I if I just gone our man started his career in Suffolk before making a long stint in the northeast. That that's too impossible. There's no yeah. You, you you're not like I wanted to make or, it potentially gettable with West Ham, Newcastle, and the R's. Yeah, I'll I'll have a think about it, but um, it could be back next week where I'll be challenging you yeah. once again in between. So I'll, I'll claim one scratch card, please. <laughs> Um, I'll get you your scratch card next time I see you. Thank you. And with that, we are at the end of this episode of the Other 14 podcast. Tom, thank you for joining me on this week's episode. And thank you to everyone for downloading and listening to this episode. Please subscribe to the pod and give us a rating on your podcast platform of choice. Also, do recommend us to your friends, family and Other 14 fans. So it's goodbye from me. That's a goodbye from me. And we'll see you next week on the Other 14 podcast.